It's great to see you, church family. I'm just, uh, let's uh, start today. You know, today is Pentecost Sunday. We're going to explain that and what that means and how that affects your life, even uh, some 2,000 years after the initial Pentecost Sunday for we Christians. So let's pray and uh, look at this incredible day in the life of the church and how it affects your life here today. So Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you that you are for us and not against us, Lord. We thank you that we can come before you, Lord God, and know that you have empowered us to live a kingdom life, a life that is pleasing to you, a life that displays your kingdom to others, Lord God, and a life that changes and transforms us. We give you thanks and praise. Today, Lord, we ask you for eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond and be open to the Holy Spirit today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, as I said, today is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, every theologian that you would listen to, um, are definitely the vast majority of them, would say that Pentecost Sunday is the birth of the church. This is the Sunday that the church was birthed some uh, 2,000 years ago. Pastor Candace did a great job last week kind of setting up Pentecost Sunday and talking about the week of ascension. And, and really what she talked about was the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after he was resurrected, he appeared to the disciples for 40 days. And for 40 days, he taught them about the kingdom of God. You can read about that in Acts chapter 1. And uh, after he finished teaching them, of course, then he ascended. Uh, you know, he gave them the, the great commission in Matthew 28. He ascended to heaven. They all watched him go. And then he said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the gift that my father has promised you. And so that's what they did. For 10 days, they had prayer meetings and they just uh, started to meet and pray and wait upon the Lord to deliver this gift that they were about to receive. You know, there was lots of significant numbers in everything I just said. And uh, Pastor Candace alluded to them again last week, but I want to reiterate them because the number 40, when 40 days Jesus was teaching, was kind of a number of transition or completion or testing, like Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, that was one of those understandings. But, you know, then, then they had to wait 10 more days so that we had 40. And then the number 10 is also, again, a number of perfection and a number of testing. We talked about that a few weeks ago, actually. Something like the 10 commandments, the 10 plagues, all those different things. And so for 10 days, the disciples are waiting on the Lord for this gift of the Holy Spirit. They don't really understand what fully it's going to be, but uh, they're waiting. You know, it's interesting to think about I wonder what Jesus taught during those 40 days. Uh, I, I tend to think we know that it was about the kingdom of God. I think it was really about how to live in the kingdom of God. Guys, get ready. You're about to be uh, opening. The kingdom of God is about to be open to you, and you're about to be uh, living out life with God in his kingdom. And so that, I think, is what Jesus really did talk about at that time. You know, it's interesting that uh, Jesus was killed and resurrected on Passover weekend. And this is now 50 days after Passover. Remember, 40 days Jesus taught. Then he left and went back to heaven. Then it was 10 days. Uh, they, they were praying and waiting. So now 40 plus 10 is 50. And so he, this is another, believe it or not, significant Jewish feast. Do you know how perfect the Bible is? 
how perfect God is in his planning, in his execution of, of all things that he, he is anticipating for the church. And so this other festival that happens 50 days after Passover is called the Feast of Weeks or the Festival of the Harvest. It's a celebration of the first fruits of the crop that they had planted. And so this is a festival that the Jews did every year. And uh, it's called, we called it Pentecost because the Greek word for 50 is Pentecost. And so this is Pentecost uh, celebration or the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest that's occurring. And again, 50 is a very significant biblical number, believe it or not. Everything is perfect in God's way of doing things. And 50 is really a celebration of the year of Jubilee which was the year that all debts were canceled in Israel. If you were a slave and you were an Israelite and you were a slave to somebody else, you were set free. If you had a debt, that debt was canceled. It's an incredible year. Every 50 years, this year of Jubilee happens. And the word 50, the number 50, uh, represents fullness or completeness. In other words, it's a fullness of time. A fullness of time has come. And really, this is what we're entering into, the fullness of God's plan. And so here we are 50 days after Passover at Pentecost weekend or Feast of Weeks, the Feast of the First Fruits, the fullness of time has come and then something happens. Something happens at this fullness of time. The kingdom of God is opened and life with God is made real and available to people the empowerment of the life of the kingdom opens to mankind. Well, what does that mean? The empowerment of the life of the kingdom opens to mankind. Well, first and foremost, we're gonna read Acts chapter two. If you have your Bible, you can be there. We're gonna kind of camp in Acts chapter two. I've got a few other scriptures we'll be jumping around into, but I want you to understand because this, this uh, understanding of Pentecost, Pentecost is not just an event, church. It's not just an event. It's meant to be a daily lifestyle for the believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hang on to that thought. Because here's the first thing we're going to learn. It's an empowerment of mission and purpose. Acts chapter 1, starting right, Acts chapter 2, sorry, starting right at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that came and separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Well, what's the mission or the purpose that we're talking about here? Again, it's the kingdom of God being expressed through the lives and to the lives of people. You see, we understand and we know this. Jesus' whole plan, the Father's whole plan, was to multiply himself. Remember when those, uh, those Greek guys wanted to meet with Jesus? They said, we would like to see Jesus. And so they went to the disciples to ask that. And Jesus' response, again, was very interesting. He said, you know, they, they asked for an audience with Jesus. He said, uh, unless a single grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it only remains a single grain. But if it does that, if it dies, then it becomes many grains. And so what he was telling them is saying, you know, I want to lay down my life. I'm going to sow my life to raise up a family, to raise up a bunch of people that represent me. 
And really that's what Jesus is doing. He's multiplying himself on earth and Pentecost is the way in which that begins to happen and the church comes alive. You see, Jesus was filled with the spirit of God. We know that. And uh, we can study that all throughout the Bible. And Isaiah 61 really talks about that infilling of the Spirit. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release the dark, from darkness the prisoners, and proclaim the year of God's favor. Do you know what that year of God's favor is, is, is about? That's actually the year of Jubilee. That's actually what that means. Way back in Isaiah 61, it was prophesied and saying, when the year of Jubilee hits, this understanding of what God is saying, I'm one to release the kingdom of God in a new and a powerful way. And so here we are, the empowerment and mission of the church come. You see, Pentecost has come. The year of Jubilee has come. And as we saw in our scripture, you know, there's great unity, yet individuality. Let me explain that. You know, they're all together in one accord or in one purpose. And uh, it's interesting that what happened was, if you remember, all of a sudden a violent wind blows in and then this, these tongues of fire separate and are on top of every single one of the believers that are present in the room. Isn't it interesting that back in the Old Testament, remember when the Israelites were delivered from, from Egypt, that they were led by a pillar of fire, one pillar of fire. So the entire uh, nation of Israel was led in the wilderness by this pillar of fire. God would direct them, their, their path and guide them and, and, and the whole nation was led uh, collectively. But now individually, this is incredible, individually a little tongue of fire is represented on every single believer. What does that mean? You know, it means that you have a personal direction from the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Spirit of God is upon you, you know the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Every single believer after Pentecost has the Holy Spirit in this form in their lives. God is wanting to, you to have an intimate relationship with him. Do you understand that in the Old Testament, the only people that were anointed with the spirit were the king, the high priest, the prophet, that's it. No one else got anointed with the Holy Spirit. But now... Every single different person in the body of Christ, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of things that are, might be wrong in their life, God has come and filled them with the Holy Spirit. Every single one of them has the Spirit of God, a personal director, a counselor, a friend. You know, I love it. One who stands beside us, strong to defend us. This is what Pentecost weekend brings. This is what it's all about. Suddenly I have this encounter and this relationship with God. But not only do I have this personal friend, this counselor, this one that who lives within me, who guides me and leads me and fills me, I also have been filled with the Spirit of God and with Him comes the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, you can pray for and experience these incredible gifts of the Spirit. And in the Bible, you can read them in Romans chapter 12, in Ephesians chapter 4, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14. 
And, and these different gifts are incredible. Encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, teaching, the fivefold uh, ministry gifts of God, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist. You can talk about the manifestation or the supernatural gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, which are quite incredible. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, healing, workings of miracles, discerning of spirits, all kinds of gifts that the Spirit of God wants to baptize and fill people with uniquely, incredibly, individually, but for the good of the whole. It's amazing that, you know, God is into diversity. You know, he's not into division. Division is demonic. Diversity is divine. Every single one of us is, 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 is an important member of the body of Christ. Each one of us gifted uniquely by the Spirit of God to bring the, the kingdom of God, to fulfill the purpose and the mission of God. And what is the purpose and the mission of God? To share the good news that the kingdom of God is open, that you can have a relationship with God, that you can be forgiven of your sins, that you can come into this incredible, life-giving, powerful, loving relationship with a good, good God. We're to display his love and his heart to this world to tell the world to the way of righteousness is through Jesus Christ, a relationship with him. We're to represent justice in this world. We're to represent peace and wholeness that people can be delivered and set free, not just living in addiction and brokenness, but you can be delivered from that addiction and brokenness that you can experience joy and joy that is everlasting. It's incredible, the two Greek words for the word filled that are in that text, those first four verses of chapter two, uh, mean this. There, I won't tell them, the, the, the two words are plero and plethro. And basically, one means to be filled inwardly, and one means to be filled outwardly. It means to be furnished or equipped. In other words, every believer, listen to me, every believer needs the filling of the Spirit, both inwardly for life and outwardly for ministry. Hallelujah. This is what's available to the church. The purpose of the church is here, guys. Pentecost is here. We're to be baptized, to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish the mission and the purpose that Jesus was accomplishing while he lived on earth. He actually said, greater works than these shall you do. And throughout the ages, throughout the generations, the church of Jesus Christ it represents and brings the kingdom of God to bear upon the kingdoms of this world. So much so, listen to what happens. If I go on and read this next part of the verse, after the baptism of the tongues of fire is sitting on them, they begin to speak in these other tongues. And I want you to hear what happens there. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. This is verse five. From every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed. They ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Wow. You can go on and read the scripture and it tells you about, I think there's 15 different groups represented there that they can hear the word of the Lord being spoken, the God, glory of God being declared in their own language. You see, God desires to empower us. Listen to me carefully, church. He desires to empower you and empower me to speak the native language of people. Now, in this case, it was supernatural. And in this case, it was 
actual physical languages, which is incredible. And I've actually met people that have received those kind of gifts from the Holy Spirit, actually received the gift of languages, if you can believe it. But this is, I think, also even deeper than that. It means that when I connect with somebody, I, I'm giving a unique power and ability to be able to connect to them where they're at. So, you know, you might be connecting with a biker crowd and God might give you an ability to connect with that group. You might be connecting with uh, single moms. You might be connecting with people from other different parts of the world. It doesn't really matter. The point, what I'm saying is the Spirit of God wants to enable you to preach in their language. In other words, to reach them where they're at. God's heart is to bring the mission, the mission of the church is to bring the kingdom of God to the kingdoms of this world. Hallelujah. What an incredible thing to be part of. So we're empowered for mission and for purpose. And by the way, the first fruits, remember this is the, this is the, the festival of first fruits or, or the festival of harvest. The first fruits are pretty incredible in this very first encounter with the Holy Spirit because the Bible says 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Wow. I mean, that's pretty significant. You show up the next time at church and there's 3,000 more people present. Tough to find your seat, I think. Here's the second thought about what happens in Pentecost. It's an empowerment of life and life abundant. <laughs> it's an empowerment of life. You see, I, I love this. The tongues of fire that came and rested on every single one of the, of the disciples you know, that was the symbol that was showing the Holy Spirit on their life. But if you remember when Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit, he actually came and the, the symbol over him was the form of a dove. Why do we get fire and Jesus gets a dove? It doesn't seem right. Well, understand this. Jesus had nothing to transform in his life. He was perfect. He was perfectly sinless, perfectly spotless, he was the perfect lamb of God. Nothing needed to change in his life. But you and I, even though we're right with God, even though we have this relationship with God, how many of you know there's still some stuff to clean up in my life and in your life? So you need these, this tongues of fire represents that God's not done his work of bringing new life into your life. What a beautiful thought. I love that. You know, the symbol of the flame, flame of fire is purifying. It's talking about the work that the spirit of God is doing us. And, and guys, this brings me incredible hope. I love this. And I'll tell you why I love it. Because God still uses us. He still uses us, beautiful ones. He still uses us in spite of the fact that we're not perfect. That even though we've been perfected in Christ, we're still being made holy. But he doesn't say, you know, when I get you all cleaned up, when you're all prim and proper, then maybe one day you can do something for me. No, he says, you know what? Now, today, from this moment on, you with the freedom you have, with the life you have within you, you can serve me and you can represent my kingdom. Wow. You know, the scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ, whom by one sacrifice has made perfect forever, those who are still being made holy. That's me. That's you. We've been made perfect, but we're still being made holy. In other words, heaven sees us through Christ, that we are perfected in Christ. But now that, 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 that truth of how our standing is, our position in Christ, 
now needs to be lived out and worked out in our lives and we need to be made holy. Wow. He's still purifying us. You see, I love this. Jesus' death and resurrection, as talked about in this second chapter of Acts, actually proves this out. It actually shows us this. Let me read you the passage of Scripture, and it starts at verse 22. It says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you to be God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Now listen carefully to this. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold on him. Because you will not abandon me, it says, it goes on and says this, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. So we're, we're baptized with these tongues of fire. Uh, Jesus was baptized with this dove. Now imagine this, the devil thinks he's won. He's crucified Jesus Christ. He's buried in a tomb. He's, he's dead and, and now decay, death starts to move in to decay the body of Jesus Christ. You know, the devil's laughing in glee. <laughs> Terrible laugh, I know. But uh, can you imagine? He thinks he's about to destroy totally Jesus' life, Jesus' body. He thinks he's won the victory. So death goes to decay the body of Jesus Christ. The problem is there's too much life there. <laughs> he's trying to rot that body. He's trying to destroy that body. He's trying to decay that body. But the body's saying, uh-uh-uh. The spirit of life is greater than the spirit of sin and death. The spirit of the life of the nature of God is so great and so strong and so powerful, it is overcoming the death. And so he can't decay the body of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is resurrected three days later. Hallelujah. You know, I think that you need to understand, you know, death could not hold him. Life overcame all death. This is good news again for you and I. Because even though we're born again and even though we've come into the kingdom of God and even though we have the spirit of God in us, there's still parts of us that are, are still in that dead nature that needs to be resurrected, that needs the life of Christ flowing and flooding from us. And this is the beautiful thing that's happened with you being baptized or filled with the spirit on Pentecost is that life is going to work its way out of you. It's greater than the death that is in you. You know the New Testament story of uh, Lazarus, of course, and uh, I, I was reminded of this. Uh, Tasha Wat Watson, actually, and, and uh, Suzanne Grenya were, were on Facebook, and they reminded me of a story I had told a while ago about Lazarus, and I wanted to reshare it because I thought, what a great illustration. So thanks, Suzanne and Tasha. Um, so the story, of course, is about Lazarus. Lazarus the, the, the sisters send word to Jesus and say, Lazarus, the one you love is sick. He's about to die. And Jesus waits two more days. By the time he gets to where Lazarus is, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Four days uh, basically baking in, in, in an easy-bake oven in the Judean hillside. Like, they don't have embalming. It's not good. And, you know, we, we've talked about this in the past. The Jews believe that, 
you know, for three days, someone could be resurrected from the dead. But after that, it was too far gone. They couldn't be changed. They couldn't be transformed. So Jesus, of course, waits past three days to four days and says, oh, no, no, no. You don't understand the resurrection and the life. You don't understand the power that I'm going to bring. And so he shows up at the tomb. Of course, you know the story. And he says, roll the stone away. And then we see Martha, basically the sister of, of Lazarus, saying, no, Lord, he stinketh. He stinketh. Decay has already set in. Rot has already set in. You can't roll the stone away. And Jesus basically says, oh, sister, sister Martha, you don't know the power of the resurrection. And he says, roll the stone away. And of course, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, of course, wrapped in grave clothes, packed with spices in order to keep the smell down, comes hopping out. And we know that story. He comes hopping out. I mean, this is the first, you know, <laughs> the first Christian horror movie. It's amazing. You know, like the, the mummy arises. And, and Jesus, of course, says, you know, take off his grave clothes and set him free. How many of you know each one of us come with, and we're wearing some gr grave clothes? <laughs> and, and part of the work of the church and part of your work in my life and my work in your life is to help unwrap those bandages. How many of you know you just can't take that like a chainsaw and kind of go and rip those bandages off? How many of you know those bandages have kind of worked their way into your life a little bit and it's gonna take some time and it's gonna take some love and it's gonna take some care and we're gonna take those, those wounds off of each other and we're gonna help each other to grow. We're gonna help each other to be freed because it is for freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free. And the thing is this, you may only get one hand free. And you know what you get to do? Serve Jesus with that hand. <laughs> You're free. Now do something with that hand. Help somebody else to get free with that one free hand that you have. And then, isn't that hopeful that in your life and in my life, that wherever I'm at, God is saying, I want to use you. I will have empowered you by my spirit to have life and life abundant, not only for you, so that it overflows out of you and touches and fills others. Wow, what a story for us. This is part of the power of Pentecost in your life and in my life. We are baptized to be cleansed and to be freed. And in the midst of it, we get to continually serve the Lord. You see, new life is being birthed daily in the believer. This is why, church, listen to me. This is why you need to spend time with God every single day. Because when you come into his presence, he is bringing the life of the kingdom of God and it's displacing, it's displacing death. It's displacing brokenness. It's displacing fear. This is what happens. This is why we need to be filled with the spirit of God every day. Because remember, Pentecost is not an event. It's a daily lifestyle for the believer to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Wow. So empowerment for mission and purpose, empowerment of the life and life abundant. But there's a third thing, and I feel it's the most important one that comes with the, the power of Pentecost, that comes with the empowerment for your life and for my life. It's really this, the empowerment of love. The empowerment of love. The empowerment of love? <laughs> what are you talking about? You see, the greatest part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the infilling of the believer with the life and the love of 
God. That's why Ephesians 3.16 tells us and Paul's telling us to pray. I love this prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, listen to me carefully, verse 16, he may strengthen you with power through your spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now listen to this. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord, God's holy people to grasp how long, how wide, how high, how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to the full measure of God. <laughs> you know, we need power just to know God's love. We need power to know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God. Why? Why do I need to be filled with love? Because I want you to understand, life draws on us. Life pulls from us. Life depletes us. Why did Jesus every single day go and spend time in prayer with his father? Because he needed to be filled with the love of God for people. He didn't go to pray to be away from people. He, go to, he went to pray so that he could be empowered so he could be with people. <laughs> you know what? If you try to do this life without the power of the spirit of God, without the power of the infilling of, of love, without the power of Pentecost, you can't achieve it. You are just going to be empty and broken and needy. That's not God's heart or intention. He wants to fill you with love. You know, one of the things that I love about uh, coming to prayer meeting in the last few weeks, and I love prayer meeting. I'm so thankful we're able to gather. We had over 30 people at the prayer meeting, the first one, and uh, we had another eight or 10 show up for the second one. It was beautiful. And you know, you don't have to do anything. You just come and you show up. And, and, and just being in the presence of God with his people when they pray, the, the power of love begins to fill us. The power of, 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 of life begins to fill us. The renewal of purpose begins to come to us. I'm telling you, church, we need a personal Pentecost every single day. It's interesting that in the greatest teaching on the, uh, in the books of the Bible, the greatest teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit are found in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Two full chapters teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how to exercise them in the body of Christ and in the world. But in the middle, guess what's in the middle between 12 and 14? You're right, 13. You're smart, I knew that about you. 13, 1 Corinthians 13. And I love the setup at the end of chapter 12 after laying out all these supernatural gifts gifts of signs and wonders and working of miracles and healings and word of knowledge, word, all these incredible, prof, powerful gifts. This is what it goes on and says, the very end of verse 12, and yet now I will show you the most excellent way. Well, what's the most excellent, excellent way? Now listen to me carefully. Excellence is not so much what we do. It's the motivation of why we do it. Hallelujah. You see, excellence is the way of love. Because that's what it goes on and says. It talks about the way of love. And, I, and we all love the intro part of, of 1 Corinthians 13. But think about what this, if you had, now listen to me. If you had what 1 Corinthians 13 tells you, if you had that on your resume as a pastor, you'd be the most coveted pastor in the world. I mean, check this out. He says, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, 
Now, if we could do that, if I could speak with such eloquence and move all oh, the whole crowd, everybody like, oh, he's the greatest pastor. But listen what God says. But don't love. I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak the word of God with power, revealing all the mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith that says to the mountain, jump, and it jumps. Imagine that on your resume. But God says, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. I love the way the Message Bible ends this. It says, so no matter what I say, what I do, what I believe, I am bankrupt without love. I think a lot of us go after the list of things that are in this text and we don't understand that the motive and the motivation that actually lives them out is more important to God than the actual doing of the thing. We've misdefined excellence. (laughs) We think excellence is the doing of the thing. We've not understood that it's the motivation behind it. It's the power to do it in. You see, whatever you have, whatever you do, it must be expressed in the power of love or it amounts to nothing. You see, one of the things that the church has failed in some ways to understand, and we need to get better at it, is God's will is never divorced from God. (laughs) In other words, some believers think, I just need to go do that, and then God will be pleased with me. But that's not how the will of God works. The will of God is Jesus is doing something. Join him in his work and walk with him in your life That's how you do the will of God. God's will is never separated from God. It's not something we do to earn God's favor. It's something we do with God because we are favored. Woo-hoo! Hallelujah. Incredible. You know, I was going through a tough season one time in Fort McMurray, and uh, I was really busy. The church had grown exponentially. We had just seen incredible supernatural growth. Like I'm talking... I'm talking supernatural, powerful occurrences of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit in operation. I mean, guys, I'm telling you, it was incredible in Fort McMurray for a while. We had people walking in off the street, construction workers at work downtown Fort McMurray, walking in off the street, falling on their knees and weeping in the presence of God. That that, that was happening on a regular occurrence. There went, we went, we, we started a morning prayer and for eight, months, we did not go a Sunday without somebody be giving their heart to Jesus Christ. The church grew from 700 to 1,000 in a matter of a couple years. And how many of you know that's a busy time? I was a dad and I, was, I was, had two small kids at home. And I'm telling you, I was, I, was, I was burning the candle at both ends and in the middle. I was so busy. But guess what I did? I started taking it out on my wife by being not kind, by being short, by being unloving. You know, sometimes we rob from the people we're supposed to love the most. And and I just remember my wife feeling very broken and very hurt by how, you know, because I was empty and depleted and not refilling enough with God, but I was doing so much good work, do you understand? I was doing all the work, like, God, aren't you happy? But I was taking it out and away from my family at home. So I rewrote 1 Corinthians 13 as a pastor's paraphrase 
to discipline myself, to bring myself to the conviction of the moment of, I need to make some changes. And I did, I did. And I'm not perfect, by the way. My wife will still tell you sometimes I'm not as generous as I need to be at home. But let me read the paraphrase to you. This is just for me and my wife, but I'm gonna share it with you. If I speak an eloquent sermon so that all understand, but speak a harsh word to my wife, I have not love. I'm only a bad stage show. If I'm very wise and counsel many people into healthy relationships, but forget to listen to my wife and family every day, I've lost all and I have not loved. If I instill vision and confidence to the congregation of thousands, but don't guide my family, I'm like a ship without a rudder headed for the rocks. If I give all my time, hallelujah, and money to the church and sacrifice my life to the kingdom, all at the expense of my family, love is absent and I've learned, earned nothing but stubble to burn. <sighs> Am I patient and kind with my wife and family? Am I refusing to take out my frustrations at home? Am I quick to listen, slow to sleek, speak, and slow to become angry? Or do I fly off the handle? Do I extend the same grace to myself and my family as I do to a member of our congregation? Do I put my family before my reputation? Love never fails, but, there will be, uh, but there, where there are great sermons, they will cease. Where there is wise counsel, it will be stilled. Where there is vision and direction, it will not be needed. For we know in part and we preach in part, but when Jesus comes, the show is over. When all is said and done, the words I want to hear are, well done, my son, you were faithful in all my house, but better yet, you brought your family to the party as well. I must love God more than all others, but these three remain, love for the lost, love for the church, and love for my family. And the greatest of these is my family. Hallelujah. I had that on my wall and I used to read it every day in my office to remind me of that which was important to the heart of God. And I had to start saying no to some things and I had to start giving a lot of my stuff away in terms of my ministry stuff to people who maybe couldn't do it quite as well as I could, but I had to give it to them and say, I'm gonna help you to do your best. And it was a lesson in my life about the empowerment of the church. You see, love, listen to me, church, is not natural. It's supernatural. <laughs> it's supernatural. And right now, the world needs the church to be more loving than it has ever been. Right now, the world is terrified by what's happening. The world is utterly driven by fear in what's coming in our economy and different things. Now is the hour of the church to be filled with love. Hallelujah. You see, listen, remember, Pentecost is not an event. It's a daily lifestyle of the believer to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. That's why Ephesians 3 or 5 tells us, don't get drunk on wine, but be drunk on the Spirit. Is literally what the Greek is telling us to do. Be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> That's in chapter 5. You can read it. Don't get drunk on wine. Don't get drunk on the world. Don't get lost in this world, but be filled every single day with the Holy Spirit. 
And if you will, it'll change your life. It'll change your heart. It'll give you the love to love people in your life. The greatest thing that happens in my life is, I entered, is when I enter daily into the presence of God and let him fill me with his love. Hallelujah. Church, you've been birthed in power. This is Pentecost. You've been empowered for the mission and the purpose of God. You've been empowered for life and life abundant. And you have been empowered for love. Well, how do I get more of the Holy Spirit? You know, the thing is, is that just for you, Pastor, or is it for everybody else? Well, believe it or not, Acts chapter 2 tells us this. You can read it in verse 37 to 39. Because after Jesus pre or Peter preached to these people, they all said, how can we get saved? This is what he said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Who's the promise for? It's for all. <laughs> the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not some special thing for Pastor Greg. It's for every single believer. It's for you. It's for me. So what do you do when you get a gift? You say, thank you. <laughs> you say, Father, yes, I want the gift. I want the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled by your Spirit every single day. And what do you do when you get that gift? You tear it open and you use it. Hallelujah. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray for you. You know what? I just encourage you to say, Lord, I, I'm willing to be open to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm not talking about speaking in tongues and all that other stuff. Just lay that aside. Just do one thing. This is where Baptists and the Pentecostals agree you need to be filled every day with the Spirit. They just disagree on what that looks like fully, but that's okay. I don't really care. The whole thing is this. Let's all say we need to be filled with the Spirit every single day because Pentecost is not a one-time event. It's a lifestyle. Amen? You know, I was thinking to myself, Jesus told him to wait for the power, the gift of the promise. And I wonder how many people came to the prayer meeting the first day. We know how many there were on the 10th day, but how many were there the first day? Because we know that Jesus appeared to over 500 of his disciples. There could have been more than the 120 that were present. I wonder, you know, for me, I, I just grieve at the thought of, I wonder if I would have been one that would have been there day one, day two, day four, day six. Maybe I would have fallen, ah, you know what? I don't see anything happening. I'm just going to stop, eh, whatever. Can you imagine not have, having missed that? Yeah, you know, basically a wind, a mighty wind blew in and, um, uh, you know, like uh, tongues of fire came and separated on each one of us and we began to speak and, and we began to speak the languages of people around us. And by the way, there's now 3,000 more people in the church. You just lost your seat. You show up to church and it's like, where is my seat? It's gone. I tell you, I don't want to be that guy that misses the day when there's a fresh infilling and fire that falls on the church. I want to be present. I don't want to just hear about it. I want to talk about it. Amen? So don't miss your daily appointments with God. God, you guys, come. 
when we have prayer meetings, we're going to continue to do what we're doing. Man, it's so rich, so beautiful. Just come and show up and pray because you've been empowered for life and for mission. You've been empowered to love. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for you. And I just need you to be open, to be filled with the Spirit of God. If you're here today and you're saying, well, I, I don't even know this Jesus. You know, it's as simple as crawling out to him and saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and fill me with your spirit. Let's pray together in closing. Heavenly Father, you see every single person that is watching. And I pray now, Father, for those that need to come to know you, that they would surrender to you right now. Say, Lord, fill me with your life. Forgive me of my sins. But for those that do know you and need a fresh infilling of your spirit, even right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that they would just open their hands to you, open their hearts to you, and say, Jesus, I'm willing and wanting to be filled to the fullness of your spirit today. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray. Give me that great gift, Father. Help me to open it and to experience the life of the Spirit in a new and a powerful way. Baptize every single person right now, Lord. Spirit of God, fall fresh on them, Lord. On them and within them and flow out of them, Lord. Anoint them with gifts. I release the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be in operation in the body of Christ in a new and a powerful and a profound way, Lord. God, that you will cause the baptizing, powerful, gift-giving Holy Spirit to come, to flood the house of God, to flood the people of God, to fill them now, Lord Jesus, with your presence. You are awesome in all of your gifts and goodness toward us, Lord. Bless your people, God, and let them hunger and thirst for you, Lord, for they will be filled and they will be satisfied. I bless them now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Church, you are loved. You are missed desperately. You're in our thoughts and our prayers every week, and we long to be together with you soon. God bless you. God bless your week. Have a good one.